How's your week been? Fantastic. Anybody here have a bad week? I got a word for you. <laughs> you know, our spiritual journey is a pilgrimage that uh, is more like a marathon instead of a sprint. And as we run the race, sometimes it gets a little hard. Now, you can look at me and you can tell I'm not a runner. My brother, my older brother, was also a pastor, and uh, he used to run for inspiration. And he said, David, he says, I get out there and the endorphins are released into my body and I get sermons and I can just run and run and run. And he says, it's wonderful. I talk to God. It's just part of the spiritual journey that's spectacular. Well, listen, as a pastor, you'll do anything to get inspiration and a good sermon. So I thought if that's where we find God in running, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start running. So I strapped on my sneakers and I hit the road. I parked my car and I ran two miles away from my car. Oh, and I talked to God. I promised him if he would let me get back to my car <laughs> without dying out there, that I would never be so stupid as to do that again. Well. As we run the race of life, there are times when we are weary, when we become overwhelmed. And I want to share with you today a message that just calls us to recognize our dependency upon each other. I would ask if you have a Bible with you or an app to look at Exodus chapter 17. I love the Old Testament. I, I know that there are some who, who avoid the Old Testament like a, a plague. But I find that it's foundational to, to my own spiritual journey and understanding. And there are lessons that we can draw from the Old Testament that are very applicable to our life. In Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 and following, we read these words. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar 
and called its name, The Lord is My Banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Pray with me, please. Jesus, speak to us in these moments. Your word is life and light to us. Let that life flow into our spirit. Let that light shine into our circumstances, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text today, we find this simple truth. We need each other if we are going to live overcoming lives. This isn't a solo journey. It's intended to be shared with the body of Christ. As we begin to explore this verse, or these verses today, I would like to review just a little bit for you. I'm going to review seven chapters. And so let me be brief. If you want to go back and begin your reading with Exodus chapter 7, you'll understand the context of what I'm saying. But I'm just going to recount it for you. Between Exodus chapter 7 and chapter 12, we find the story of the children of Israel being liberated from the slavery of Egypt. That liberation was the result of the display of the glory and the power of God. Egypt and Pharaoh were subjected to 10 horrible plagues. And it was the result of the hardness of Pharaoh's hearts. Now, I'm just going to mention those plagues. We're familiar with them, but, but as I mention them, just think about them and, and imagine what it would be like to experience them. Now, now, being new to South Dakota, there are a couple of these plagues that, that really speak to me, and I'm experiencing them for the, the first time, and... Uh, it's given, given me great appreciation for how horrible it must have been in Egypt. First, we find the water was turned to blood. Secondly, we find the frogs were unleashed on the land of Egypt. Thirdly, the gnats. One version calls them gnats. The King James Version says lice. Now, the church that I used to pastor, we had a, a preschool program. And from time to time, we would have a, a crisis, a little health crisis. Lice. You'd have a child who would wear a stocking cap or something and then share it with somebody else. And the next thing you know, you have parents coming to the office saying, we have a problem. And just the word lice makes me itch. I just want to start scratching all over. But that was unleashed on the land of Egypt, if you can imagine that. Now, here's one that I'm really identifying with today. Flies. I never knew flies could bite so hard and be so persistent. And when I read that the land was covered with flies... My heart goes out to those Egyptians. The death of livestock. How horrible that must have been. Realizing that for you, the death of a single animal is a, a substantial financial setback. Can you imagine your herds dying off? 
because of the plague that is unleashed because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Boils. I don't need to say any more about that. Hail. Locust. Darkness. And the tenth plague. The death of the firstborn. Can you imagine what an awful time this was in the land of Egypt? But there's something supernatural that unfolds for the children of Israel during the outpouring of these plagues. They were in the land of Goshen. They were shepherds, herders of sheep. And God surrounded them. And even though the plagues were poured out on the land of Egypt, the children of Israel did not endure or suffer the consequences of the plagues. The Bible tells us after we come to Exodus chapter 13 that Pharaoh had had enough. And he told the Israelites, he told Moses, get out of here, just go. Go. No more. No more. Go. And they went. Now, what I'm seeing as I look at these verses, these chapters, 7 through 13, that the glory of the Lord surrounded the children of Israel. Even during this time of crisis, the outpouring of the plagues, they saw what was happening to the Egyptians, and yet God had sheltered them and kept them from it. As we look at chapter 13, we find that as they left the land, and they went several days away. That God's presence was visible to them. Because there was a cloud by day. And a pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine the glory of the Lord shining down on you in such a tangible, visible way? Wow. Well... We read on in chapter 14, and Pharaoh was not happy with the fact that they had lost this large population of enslaved people. And he had second thoughts. Even though they had suffered so greatly because of the hardness of his heart, he said, we got to go get them. This isn't right. And so in Exodus chapter 14, we find Pharaoh gathering together his chariots and his army. And he led them out against the children of Israel. Now there's something interesting that I see here, and this speaks to me in my own journey. There are times when we face adversity, and the first thing we do is we lose sight of the presence of the Lord. Our crisis becomes larger in our life than the one who can solve the crisis. And we begin to focus upon the issue instead of the answer. The children of Israel saw the army of Pharaoh coming. And I love this. The visible presence of God is before them. And they said to him, why'd you bring us out here to die? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt for us? That you had to bring us out here in the desert so that we would perish here? 
I've had many people come into my office and they're angry with God because they're going through a crisis. And they are oblivious to the fact that God is there with them. God is providing for them every single day. His presence surrounds them. His love secures them. But they are focused on the crisis. God said to Moses, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go out there and I want you to lift up the rod over the Red Sea. And if you read the scriptures, and you can read for it, read yourself, Exodus chapter 14, that cloud, the presence of the Lord, moved around behind the children of Israel. To the Egyptians, it was darkness. They couldn't see. To the Israelites, it was light. The glory of God showing the way. And they crossed over on dry land. And we read how Pharaoh said, let's go over as well. They went into the middle of the sea. God brought confusion. The wheels fell off the chariot. The sea closed in. And the army of Pharaoh was destroyed. The glory of God revealed yet again. Exodus chapter 15, the song of Marion. It's a beautiful song. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. Great jubilation, great triumph because God had come through in a supernatural way. Once again, the glory of God revealed. But no sooner do they get across than they say, we're thirsty. And they came to a place where the water was bitter. It was brackish. How many of you have ever had some really bad water? Now, I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. We drew our water from the Raccoon River. And it was heavily chlorinated. Now, I thought chlorinated water was good water until I had good water. Some fresh mountain water. No chemicals, nothing, just fresh water. And that stuff that I used to drink became almost unpalatable to me. And the children of Israel came to this place. They were thirsty. And they came to this water and it was undrinkable. What do you do when you've got a mass of people that need water? You cry out to God. That's what you did. Moses cried out to God and said, what do I do? God showed him a tree and he took the tree and he threw it in the water. And it became sweet. Once again, the power of God being displayed. Chapter 16. Children of Israel, did you bring us out here to starve us to death? Now, as you read this, you get the feeling that sometimes the people of God are whiny. Okay, I'm in the right place. A bunch of whiners. Did you bring us out here to die? We had lots of meat. We had lots of food back in Egypt. And now we're starving to death. God says, once again, I'm going to show my glory. And he brought the quail in. And that night, the manna settled down. And they had more than enough to eat. God provided for them supernaturally. We come to chapter 17. 
Once again, they're thirsty. Once again, they complain. And God said to Moses, take the rod, and I want you to strike the rock. And when he did, the water flowed. Now, multiple instances here. You can count them yourself, but I number almost 15 instances where the power of God was visibly displayed to them. They were living in the blessing and the provision of God. When we come to Exodus chapter 17, I finally made it to my text. They, they came to chapter 17, verse 8. And they had something fabulous unfold to them. Now, let me ask you a couple questions first. Can you imagine experiencing the presence and the power of God in such a visible fashion in your own life? The fact of the matter is we do. We live in the daily presence and the power of God as he leads us and he guides us. What could possibly go wrong when God is moving so mightily on our behalf? We find it in our text today. I like the way the King James Version says it. It says it this way. Then came Amalek. Amalek in scripture is a type or a shadow, a picture, if you please, of Satan. Then came Amalek. Who was Amalek? Amalek was a grandchild of Esau. There were some issues that were related to that birthright thing and that, that tension between Jacob and Esau, you remember? Something about a bowl of porridge. You're familiar with the story. They were a nomadic people, the Amalekites. They lived in the area between Canaan and Egypt. And they were cruel. They were violent. And the children of Israel were passing through. And without provocation, the Amalekites attacked them. Let me tell you a little bit about the nature of the attack. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18. It says that when you were weary, they attacked you from the rear, attacking those who were stragglers, those who were weak, those who were vulnerable. Then came Amalek. What could possibly go wrong? You know what? We live daily with the presence of the Lord. And what I have discovered in my own journey is this. Is when the glory of God is flowing. When the power of God is manifest. It's not soon after that Amalek comes a calling. You have a special devotional time. And God reveals himself. He ministers to you. The word comes to life. And you get up from that place where you've been spending time with the Lord and you go out to face the day and the first thing that happens, 
derails you. Does anybody identify with that? You come to church and you get blessed. And you're on the way home. And someone else driving another vehicle who is unfamiliar with the function of the skinny pedal on the right impedes your progress. And you begin to feel it rising up inside of you. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you go to church camp and you have a special time with God. I can remember I was called into ministry at camp, 15 years of age, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I thought, I am going to be super saint from this point on. And unfortunately, I became the prodigal son, not the pastor that God called me to be. Then came Amalek. He comes to us oftentimes at that moment when we are up here. We've seen God. We've known God. We've heard God. We've felt his presence. We've felt his power. And he comes and he wars against us. What is the purpose of Amalek when he comes? He comes and blindsides us, and this is often the result. Amalek is a type of Satan. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Make no mistake about it. Jesus said that was his function. What does he come to steal? He comes to steal your joy. Nehemiah said what? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the first thing he goes after is your joy. Your strength. He wars against you. He tries to steal away your faith. Now faith is critical to us in our walk with God. The Bible says that without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God. And if he can erode your faith, if he can sow the seed of doubt, then he's working mightily against you. And then thirdly, he comes to steal your hope. Some of you are experiencing that today. Your joy, your faith, and your hope have been severely under attack. Let me tell you how Amalek works. He came against the straggler. The Bible says that Satan, as a roaring lion, comes seeking whom he may devour. Peter identifies it, told us to be sober, to be vigilant, to be alert, to be on guard. Because he preys on the vulnerable. I don't want you to feel as though you were alone in your struggle. Because you're not. One of the tactics that he uses is to make you think that it's you You're the problem. 
No one else in all of humanity is as bad as you, is struggling with what you're struggling with, is stumbling over the issues that you're stumbling over. And that is a lie. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Rome. And I love this chapter. It's taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul speaking to believers, those who had experienced the power of God, those who had seen the power of God revealed in their life, he said this, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He's mentioned three things there. He's mentioned our joy, he's mentioned our faith, he's mentioned our hope. Those are possessions for the believer. But listen to what he says. But not only that, we glory in tribulation I like that word tribulation. You know what tribulation means? It's taken from the Greek word philipsis. It's a simple word. It simply means pressure. Some of us are experiencing pressure. Pressure in our spiritual life that is impacting our joy, it's impacting our faith, it's impacting our hope. But we glory in the pressure, in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. You see, there's a process that's going on. And it's the refining process. What the enemy intends to use to destroy you, God is using to refine you and to build you up. And Paul says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is working even in the crisis to strengthen you, to bless you. Let me give you another scripture. It just popped into my mind. Isaiah, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Child, you are mine. And when you walk through the water, I will be there. And when you go through the flame, and you will not drown And you will not be consumed. You'll not burn. God is on your side. God is with you in the crisis. What do we do when we face the crisis and when we're struggling and Amalek or Satan is attacking us? We do exactly what Moses did. Exactly what happened there in that scripture with the children of Israel. We need helping hands. Picture with me, if you will. Joshua has gone out. He's taken some of the men of Israel, the camp of Israel with him, and they've gone to war against Amalek. And the Bible tells us that Moses went up on the hill and he took the staff of God and he held it up. 
And as long as he held that staff up, the armies of Israel prevailed. Now, this is a good Pentecostal charismatic church. You're not unfamiliar with the dynamic of raising hands. During praise and worship, I see hands lifted up. People giving glory to God. But you know what I also notice? That sometimes, even in the course of singing a single song, the arms get weary, don't they? And all our spirit is soaring into the presence of the Lord, but we're going to go to one arm. And back and forth we go. Can you imagine that the battle is being waged below you? And as long as your arms stay up, the victory is on your side. But when weariness begins to set in, and you can't do it anymore, and you realize that lives are at stake, you realize that victory hangs in the balance and you just can't do it anymore and your arms begin to come down and Amalek begins to prevail, how badly that feels. Listen, sometimes we are doing all we can to keep our hands up. We're doing all we can to resist the enemy. Scripture says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But we have resisted to the point we can't resist anymore. And we just think, oh... I don't know if I can keep my hands up any longer. Maybe if I could just sit down, I could, I could keep my hands up. Aaron and her grabbed a stone, and they brought it over, and they put it under Moses. And his hands were lifted up by them. Listen, you're not alone. You have a body of believers. We are planted in a body, and we are there for each other. Each part is dependent upon the other. And when we see a part that is struggling, that is under attack, we need to come alongside and hold their hands up. I want you to notice something here, though. They did it until sundown. They were in it for the long haul. You know, something I've noticed that Oftentimes, we, we've become so conditioned to quick responses and quick, quick results that, that we don't make that commitment to see it through. We see a brother or sister struggling with something, and we come alongside, and I'm praying for you. Pat them on the back, breathe a prayer, and walk off. There are some battles that require time commitments. There are some times where we need to come alongside and not give a pat on the back and a quick prayer, but we need to hold them up. Brothers and sisters standing together, warring against the enemy. Now listen, there are, there are some interesting scriptures that I could apply to this. I'm just going to throw out one here. The scripture says that one will put how many to flight? A thousand to flight. Two will put how many to flight? 10,000. There's an exponential increase in power when the people of God come together in agreement. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, where am I? I'm in the midst of them. 
And when we find a brother or sister who is being beat down by the Lord, or excuse me, beat down by Amalek, we need to stand together with them in the battle because the enemy is real. They won't win the battle alone. The enemy is real. The battle is very, very real. There's a lot of scripture that talks to us about the nature of our journey. I'm not going to deal with Ephesians and the spiritual armor because Pastor John has been doing a study in in Ephesians. But we are called to be dressed in the whole armor of God and then having been dressed to stand in the battle. And when our feet want to fly, we need someone to stand with us and to agree with us. You see, as I said, one of the strategies of the enemy is to pray against us. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One alone is vulnerable, but two or three in agreement are a force to be reckoned with because Christ is in their midst. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 asks a question. I think it's a rhetorical question. But I close with that question today. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? And I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your crisis may be. But I want you to know today, you're not alone in the battle. The joy, the faith, and the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus and that may come under attack, is secured in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The the enemy cannot steal it from you. And what he intends to do in trying to harm you is actually working to refine you and to strengthen you and make you an overcomer. And I want to pray with you today. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I want us to pray. And if you are struggling today, you're vulnerable, you're weak, and you feel as though Amalek has come and is carrying the battle at this moment in time. I want you to reach out and take hold of Jesus. And you may have a friend, a family member, a loved one in the congregation or in the community of faith that goes beyond these four walls that you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm really struggling. You don't have to struggle Bring them into the circle. Draw strength from them. And walk in the power and the glory of God.
Would you pray with me? Lord, we know that the battle is very real. All of us at some point in time have experienced it. When doubt begins to creep in, when temptation begins to to seize the day and carry the day, when we stumble and when we fall, and then the accuser comes and tells us what a miserable failure we are. We've all been there. We all know the sting of the words because our hearts cry and our hearts desire is to honor you and to please you in our living. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling today that you would bring to them an Aaron and a her who would take their arms that are falling in defeat and lift them up. Joining heart, joining prayer, linking faith, and going to war together. Father, we are more than conquerors in Christ. And just as the children of Israel defeated Amalek, let the church rise up in victory today. Let the believers rise up in victory. And let all glory and praise go to you. In his name we pray.